According to St. Mark in chapter number 6, I want to read some verses to you uh, from this chapter of the Word of the Lord. And I want to use a phrase that the old timers used when I was growing up around the church house. And it will really be the, the, uh, the theme or the, uh, the, the title for the message, if you want to call it that. And uh, try to share with you from the Word of the Lord what Jesus says here and what happens in this passage of Scripture but I remember the old timers when I was growing up would say, when we'd start to have church, my great grandpa would say something like this, and everybody look around you, realize where you are, you're in the right place, you're here in the house of the Lord, we're here to worship, so let's take the brakes off and we'll go to meeting. And I had no idea what in the world he's even talking about, you know. But uh, the, the phrase that he would use, take the brakes off, of course, it, it had to do with riding a wagon, mule and wagon. When you get that wagon, and uh, if you're going to get it to go anywhere, you can hook the mule up to it, put the harness on it, and have him, and you can holler, y'all mule. And uh, I mean, whoop the fire out of him. But if you leave the brake on, you're not going anywhere. And uh, I mean, you if you're going to move forward, if you're going to make any progress, you've got to reach down there and pull the brake off so that you can get somewhere. And when we come to the house of the Lord, it's the same way. A lot of times we say we want God to do something. We say we want the Lord to help and bless and to work and to teach us something. Lord, show me something. But we keep the brake on. And uh, while, we keep, while we keep the brake pressed down and while we limit God, we can't really expect for Him to do anything in our lives. Oh Lord, I want You to speak to me, but we're not going to do anything You say. Lord, I really want You to work in our midst this morning, but I really don't want You to change anything in my life. Lord, I really want you to uh, to uh, touch everybody in the church and save all the sinners, but I don't want to become a witness. I sure do want the power of God to be manifested and folks to worship the Lord as long as I don't have to testify. See, what we've done is we've put the brake on and we won't let God do what we say we want Him to do. We, uh, we're we like the man with the mule in harness and we're whipping the fire out of that mule, hollering, y'all mule, and he won't go anywhere. And the reason he won't go anywhere is because we've got the brake on. And so we need to take the brakes off. We find an occasion in the Scripture in Mark chapter 6 where the people who knew the Lord Jesus the best put the brakes on. And they would not let the Lord do anything in their lives. Not because God couldn't do it, but because they had the brake on. And so this morning, let me encourage you to take the brakes off. Let's look in Mark chapter 6. If you found your place, able and willing, I'd invite you to stand with us. We'll reverence the reading of the Word of the Lord. Mark chapter number 6, verse number 1. The word of the Lord says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath, these, hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and of Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work, save that he laid his hand on a few sick folk, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. They had the break on. He marveled because of their unbelief. And notice what he did when he could do no mighty work there among his own people and in his own country and his own house and among his own kin. 
He left. Verse 6, He marveled because of their unbelief, and He went round about the villages teaching. When they would not receive Him, when they would not hear Him, when they put the brake on, when He could not do anything among them, He walked out of town. And He went and found people in the outskirts. And He went and found people in little villages. And went and found somebody that wanted to hear what He had to say. This morning, if He comes by your way, don't put the brake on. When He speaks to your heart, don't put the brake on. He'll pass you by and go to talk to somebody else. There's somebody who wants to hear from Him. There's somebody who wants to receive Him. There's somebody who wants to be near unto Him. I want Him to know He's welcome in my life, in my home, and in, in my walk with Him, that I want to be near where He is. Everybody can be seated this morning. We're talking about taking these breaks off. Our text is a familiar passage. Jesus came to His hometown. The Bible called it His own country. And those who knew Him best failed to trust in Him. It's the most magnified occasion of the truth that is found in John 1 and 11 where the Bible said, And He came to His own, and His own received Him not. The Bible said in our verse this morning in Mark 6 and 1, He came into His own country. His disciples followed Him, but yet those of His own house, of His own country, and of His own kin did not trust in Him and did not receive Him. They put the brakes on. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, said John 1 and 11. And, but to as many as received Him, said verse 12, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on His name. And so this morning, you put the brakes on. You won't receive Him. Somebody else will. And thank God, I'm, I appreciate the fact that if you will receive Him, you have the promise that you can become the Son of God. Even to them which believe on His name, you'll trust in Him. You'll put your confidence in Him. Then the Lord will do in your life what He wants to do. But if you will not, if your unbelief is there, you'll put the brakes on on what God wants to do in your life. You'll hinder Him. You will limit Him. Not because God is limited, but because your faith is limited. The Lord is not uh, the Lord is not changed in who he is because of our faith, but he is changed in what he does because of our faith. The Lord never stopped being God. He never stopped being the Lord. He never stopped being the Messiah. Even though they didn't believe in him, he still was who he said that he was. But he would not do what he wanted to do because of their unbelief. And in your life, Jesus will still be Jesus a million years from now. If you never believe in him, your faith does not either enable him nor does it restrict Him from being who He is. But I'm going to tell you, my friend, you can restrict Him or limit Him from doing what He wants to do in your life because of your unbelief. Your belief or unbelief does not make God God, but I tell you, it does unleash His power in your life or limit His power in your life. God, help us to have faith in Him and to trust in Him to take the break of unbelief off this morning and let the Lord do something in our lives. I want to point out four simple things to you in our passage of Scripture this morning and I'll be finished with what the Lord said on my heart. Let me show you first of all the reach that is made to the rejectors. The reach that is made to the rejectors. In verse number 1 the Bible said, 
And he went out from thence, that is, from where he was in chapter 5, and he came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. Now this is really important, because Jesus left Capernaum, and he walked approximately 20 miles to his hometown of Nazareth with his disciples. Now that's very important to note, because this was his last recorded visit to his hometown. Mark tells us that he came with his disciples. When rabbis or teachers traveled the countryside, they were always accompanied by uh, their own band of disciples or followers. When he comes back home, when he comes back to Nazareth, when he comes back into his own country, he's not just there for a social visit. He's there on official business. He has disciples following him. He's coming. He had left town as the carpenter's son, but he's come back as the Messiah, the Son of God. He's come back, my friend, as uh, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the anointed one, the promised one of the Lord. And He is making no bones about it. There is no secrecy involved. He's making His return to town to let them know, I'm not the little boy that you saw standing in the carpenter's shop. You didn't see me then for who I was, but I'm letting you know now. Look around. See the disciples. Look around. Hear my message. Look back to the previous chapter and the miracles that I just did. Now it's important to see. Chapter 5 is that great chapter. Three great miracles. You remember he shows up in Gadara, the crazy man, in the tombs, cutting himself with stones, cast the devils out of him. They found him seated, clothed in his right mind, defeated Jesus. And then my friend, 2,000 pigs were drowned in the sea. Well, the devils came out of that one crazy man, and Jesus gave him peace and forgave him of all his sins and changed his life. That chapter 5 is the same chapter where as soon as what he has taken that crazy man and given him peace. There is a man that comes running to him of the Capernaum synagogue and it says my little daughter is sick and she's under death and would you come to my house and help her and Jesus is on his way to help her and while he's on his way to help her there's a woman who has been sick with an issue of blood for 12 years and she's tried many physicians she's suffered lots of things daily grown worse and she said if I can but just touch the hem of his clothes if I can touch the border of his garment. I know I'll be made whole. And she fights her way through the crowd. She touches him. He touches her. Immediately she's made whole. She testifies of what God has done in her life. Of her miracle of the Lord. And immediately she felt it when the Lord did a miracle in her. Her faith was great. Of that man that was full of devil, his faith was great. Of my friend, then there is Jairus standing close by. He's still waiting for help for his daughter. And they come to his him from his house and say, trouble not the master, don't waste Jesus' time. Your daughter's dead now. It's too late. But Jesus said, did I not say unto you, if you just believe, you'd see the glory of God. And his faith was great. And he brought the Lord Jesus home with him. That crowd that was in his house laughed at Jesus. The Lord said, she's the damsel's not dead, she sleeps. And they mocked him to scorn. They laughed at him. They had no faith. They tried to put the brakes on. But you know what Jesus did? He threw them out. Amen. He thrust all of them out except for his disciples, the faithful ones, that inner circle, and the mother and father of the child. And he says to the little girl, 12 years old, Talitha that is, I say unto thee, arise. And that little girl rose up. And before the end of the chapter, 
there she's eating supper with them. Amen. Had they had the great things happen among them because they took the brakes off and they exhibited great faith. And in on the hills of all this, a place where he was received, a place where people would believe, a place where the throngs were coming to him to just touch him, to be in his presence. When he said, who touched me? They said, are you kidding me? This whole crowd around you, everybody's touching you. Did I tell you, friend, everybody was wanting to receive him. Crowds of people wanted him. He was desired. They had faith. They wanted to take the brakes off and let him do something. And he leaves there to go back home. He leaves there to go back to the house. And when he gets back to the house, they don't receive him the same way. When he gets back home, there's not a crowd gathered around him wanting to say, can I touch him? Can I be near him? Can I get close to him? Can I experience his power? Can he help me like he helped those others? Oh no, he gets home. And they mock him and they make fun of him and they question his authority. And they love down his power by putting the brakes on. They should have known better. They should have done differently. But they limited the power of God. How can I ask you this morning while the Lord Jesus is still God and He's still doing things all over this whole world? How when He comes through in His own country right here and the local church and walks right through our midst, will we this morning lock the brake down and say God is not and cannot do anything in our lives and will not trust Him and will doubt Him and will my friend limit Him or will we take the brakes off, have faith in God and let God do what He wants to do among us here today? Amen. He comes on an official visit. Can I tell you the Lord's not here to play at tiddlywinks with us this morning. He's not here to entertain us. He's not here so that all of us can clap and hoot and holler. And I'm in favor, by the way, of worshiping the Lord outwardly, openly. My friend, often all of those things. I mean, I believe we ought to do it. I believe we're way behind on it. But the Lord did not just save us so we could worship. He saved us so we could serve. And He saved us that He might work a work in our midst. And He wants us to trust Him and take the brakes off and let Him do what He wants to do among us today. We limit Him because we put on the brakes with unbelief. He's there on an official visit. Now this is not the first time He's come to them and told them that He's the Messiah. The last time was a year before this. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 records that visit. A year earlier, He didn't have His entourage with Him. He didn't have all these disciples following Him. He had not come to town as a rabbi. A year ago, whenever he was there, he had not shown them that he was either a teacher or a prophet or anything. He was the carpenter. He was the commoner in town. That is, he had not yet displayed his glory unto them and told them the purpose for which he had come. But on that day in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, he surrenders. Not only does he surrender openly to the call of God for his life, that the Lord had on him, but he reveals unto them why he was here to start with and that it was the purpose of God and that the Lord had shown it to him right before their very eyes. He does that in his hometown. He didn't do that in Jerusalem. He did it in Nazareth. The folks that knew him the best, they got to see it first. Luke 4 and 16 he picks up the book and he stood and he read the scroll in the midst of the synagogue and he read from Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to broken up the, to heal up the broken hearted to preach the deliverance to the captive and recover 
recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Scripture said He closed the book and He gave it to the minister. And He sat down and all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And then He preached confrontationally. And He said, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your own eyes. In other words, you're looking at Him. I'm the Messiah. How many times did He work miracles and say to people, Now don't tell nothing about it. Don't say anything. It's not time yet. Don't go tell anybody what happened to you. This is between you and me. That's not the way He worked in Nazareth. When He had His first days of His ministry, He let them know right up front, Look at me, boys and girls. Look at me, family members. Look at me, friends and cousins and those I grew up with. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. Would you trust in me? He was very open with them. And yet they would not trust Him. You know what they did? They got so mad at Him when He told them that He was the Messiah, that they drug Him out to the edge of the city, and they would have thrown Him off the cliff headlong and killed Him, had He not somehow or another mingled through the crowd and walked off without them even knowing about it. Oh, and this time He comes back a year later. But when He comes back the second time, He's not a mild and meek man with a scroll in His hand telling us what the Bible said. He is coming back with the power and majesty of the anointed Messiah. And He's got His entourage with Him. His disciples following Him. Anybody see a picture here this morning? The first time He came to this old world was with that soft-spoken voice. I'm my friend that let people know I'm the Lord. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. But I tell you, the next time He's coming back with an entourage, the next time He's coming back in power, the next time He's coming back in glory, the next time He's coming back for all to see and hear. And if you'll not receive it, you'll be left out. If you'll not receive it, you'll be left behind. If you'll not believe in Him, if you put the brakes on, friend, you'll miss out on what He wants to do in your life. Amen. The reach to the rejecters. I find it remarkable that a man would go to town and tell them who he was to preach to them the gospel. Them try to throw him off a cliff headlong and kill him. I find it remarkable that he ever came back. What do you think about it? I mean, if I listen, I've been to some churches that I don't want to go back to no more. They didn't treat me nice. But I never had them drag me out to the edge of the of town and try to throw me off a cliff. I mean, I've had some places I felt like if I'd hung around long enough, they might have tried that. But I never had any places where I hung around long enough for them to do that. And listen, if they did, I'd have had a hard time going back. But you know what Jesus says? There's a crowd up here that'll receive me. But those folks back at home, I love them. I care about them. I know they threw me out of town the first time. I told them who I was. But boys, I need to go back again and tell them one more time. I need to give them one more opportunity. Woo! I'm so thankful we serve a God that's long suffering with us. If the first time I refused Him, if He had ever come back and dealt with my heart, I'd have been in trouble. But I'm so thankful He's long suffering. And He comes back again and again and again. And He reaches out to those who reject Him. Those who refuse Him. The very fact that you and I are here this morning is a testament to His long suffering. That He's not already wiped us out for putting the brakes on. The fact that He's not already cut us off. And the fact that He'll deal with us one more time. How many times have we doubted Him? How many times have we had unbelief? How many times have we said, God, I just don't think He will? How many times have we thought that the Lord had given up on 
Bible said, and again the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. I'm telling you, thank God for the second visit, the third visit, the continual visit, the repeat visit, the outreach that the Lord Jesus makes. If He had given up on us the first time we rebelled against Him and went into our own sin and rebellion, we'd all be in hell. But thank God for His mercy that He'd come back again and again, that He'd forgive us of our sin, that He'd reach out to us, He'd reach out to those that had rejected Him. Praise God and give us another opportunity. Hallelujah. They that were here, that, that were here in this lesson, in this scripture today, they had rejected his message. They tried to kill their own homegrown preacher boy at the very start of his ministry. Still, in our context, he comes back more and more. Praise the Lord! Jesus gives the people of Nazareth another opportunity to hear him. He gives them another opportunity to hear the word of God. He gives them another opportunity to believe on him. This morning, if the Holy Ghost is dealing with your heart, you have refused Him in the past. You have turned Him away. You have provoked the Spirit of God and said, said no and shook your head at Him. But if He's come back again to knock on your heart's door, to speak, to speak with you even in the faintest of a small, still voice, you ought to say, Thank you, Lord. Glory be to God that He has not forgotten about me, that He's given me one more opportunity to hear hear His Word, to hear His voice, and to believe on His name. Preaching to some folks today who the Lord's been dealing with, and you've rejected Him in that serious business, and in mercy and grace, Jesus has come today to reach out to you again, but like with Nazareth, that this may be your last time. Brother John finished out the Sunday school lesson this morning with verse 3 of Genesis 6 where the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man. The very fact that God's spirit has ever strived with man is a miracle of the grace of the Lord. Amen. And the mercy of God. Don't push His mercy. Don't exhaust His grace. Oh, my friend, when He reaches out to you, take the brakes off and let God do something in your life. Yes, sir. Amen. He never reached out to them again. The Nazarenes missed the Lord's deadline. And I'm wondering this morning, will you? Will you miss the Lord's deadline? Will you push it too far? Will you push the brakes on for too long and Jesus pass you by? Or will you embrace Him while He's coming by? The reach to the rejectors. And then secondly, I want you to notice this morning, the response of the rejectors. Verses 2 and 3, Jesus has reached out to them. But when He comes in on the Sabbath day, He began to teach in the synagogue, verse 2 said, And many hearing Him were astonished, hearing His... uh, Hastani saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Isn't it amazing? They recognized his wisdom. They saw his works. They heard his words. None of this was a secret unto them. Yet they said, Just who does he think he is? It's not that what he's saying isn't right or doing isn't right or that we don't believe that it's true. It's we can't believe He's doing this. Just who does He think He is? I'm going to tell you, 
the Lord hath done what He hath pleased. Amen. Ain't none of us getting indignant about what the Lord's doing here this morning and saying God ain't got no right to do this or that in my life. No use in any of us this morning uh, questioning the Lord and saying, I'll tell you, I believe God that my mama died or my daddy died or this happened in my family. Haven't been, I just got mad at God. That's foolishness is what that is. Who do you think you are to try to tell God what to do? Amen. That's exactly right. Psalm 115 said, The Lord hath done what He hath pleased. He's the Lord. Don't get indignant. And to say, just soon as anything, He is. Verse number 3, Is not this the carpenter? Had the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Jude, and Simon? Had not his sisters here with us? And that they were offended at Him. I got mad at God. I got offended at God. Well, it's not going to help you, any friend. It's not going to help you. Best thing you can do is yield to Him. Quit putting the brakes on. Amen. Oh, they were startled by His preaching. When He came in and He preached the Word, He began to teach in the synagogue. And the verse number 2 said, Many were astonished. They were startled by His preaching. I know how that feels. I even know how that looks. When people get startled by your preaching. Amen. I know I've been knowing what that looks like for almost 30 years. For people to get startled by your preaching. I know that look on somebody's face that says, I can't believe he said that. Amen. I know that look. Some of you this morning would have never, for all the time you've attended church here, you would never have said unto me what in words what you have said unto me in your countenance while I've been preaching. Amen. Some of you would never come by the door and say out loud, but I do got eyes this morning. See it on your countenance sometimes. I see it in my wife's countenance. Oh my, please, son, don't say that. I mean, I can see it in her face when I got. I start going down that road sometimes. I get home, she'll say, "I can't believe you said that." And I think to myself, "I knew you couldn't believe it when I said it because I saw you when I said it." And I knew when her face turned colors and she got embarrassed. You shouldn't have said that this morning, don't you know? How you shouldn't have said that tonight? How people get astonished by the preaching now sometimes. And John Michael, they get astonished when I'm preaching right. And sometimes they get astonished just by the fact that I'm preaching in the Holy Ghost. But sometimes they get astonished because I miss it. I didn't preach just right. I missed the boat. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm just a preacher. I'm just a man. But I'm going to tell you they were not astonished because Jesus swung and missed. They were astonished because He's preaching right. And because He's preaching with the Holy Ghost. And because the wisdom and the work... God followed after him. Amen. They were astonished because of what God was doing before them. Amen. They were startled by his preaching. That word astonished means to be seized with panic. I know some folks have had panic attacks while I've been trying to preach. I mean, just go nuts on me. Amen. I gotta get home and get a volume. The Bible meeting got too loud. I gotta go home and take a nerve pill. Amen. Now the night before at the Alabama game, it didn't get too loud, you know. But at the revival meeting, it got too loud. And I gotta have a nerve pill. You know why? Football don't make you nervous, and the Holy Ghost does because you love football more than what you love the Holy Ghost. Amen. God, I just saw some of them faces. Amen. I can't believe he said that. How you are startled by it. That's how they got with Jesus. They panicked. They said, oh, no, 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 no. That preacher can't say that. Not in the church. That's too much. That preacher. 
sins too hard, it's too straight, it's too true. It hits us square between the eyes. We can't hear that kind of preaching. Not only can we not hear, we got to do something to stop it. Have they panicked, friend? They were struck by terror. They were stricken with startling and sudden alarm. Literally, they were deflated and flabbergasted. Words, friend, from whence has this man these things? They were startled at his words. And they were startled at his wisdom. And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? They were startled at his works. That even such mighty works were wrought by his hands. We can't figure out how he talks like this. How he thinks like this. How he how works like this. We're amazed at what he does. By the way, it ought to be where we are amazed at what he does. But when we see God doing something, don't panic and put the brake on. Put it off. The wheels aren't going to run off. And the wagon while Jesus is riding on board. Put the brake off. Let the Lord do something in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. Some of you ought to just disable your emergency brake. Amen. Hallelujah. They were started over his preachers. That's it, preaching. That's his response. They stumbled over his person. Verse number three, they said, Now he can't do this. He's a carpenter. Now, they saw him as only a carpenter. This is not a compliment by any means. They were not bragging on his craftsmanship. When they said, is he not a carpenter? That's not the same thing as when you and I get together and somebody does a real good job doing a remodel job or something down your house. Saying, that boy right there, he is really a carpenter. He's some more craftsman, isn't he? That's not what they're doing here. They're not bragging on his carpentry skills. They are belittling his his, uh, theological background. They're saying, now what school did he go to? I I don't see his diploma hanging on the wall. I have not seen his doctrine of theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. I have not seen where he's been to the Harvard School of Theology. Just who does he think he is that preaches in such power? He's He's a manual laborer. Why, he's just an old carpenter. He works with his hands. Who does he think he is? He has no formal training. He's not qualified. That's what they're saying about him. What about that? They saw him as a carpenter. Verse number 3, they saw him as Mary's son. Is not this a carpenter? The son of Mary? This again is not a compliment. They're not bragging on his mama. You know, Brother TJ gets up and preaches, and if he does a good job, and somebody says, now that's, that's Sister Tanya's boy. She swells up with pride and gets all, her head gets all big like she taught him everything that he knows, you know. Now when he does something dumb, she'll say, is he, he's his daddy's son. But whenever he gets up and preaches and does a good job, she loves to hear folks say, now that's Sister Tanya's boy. And uh, she gets all, and she ought to whenever he does well like that. But when they say it, is not this the carpenter? Is this not the son of Mary? They were not bragging on his mama. They were insulting his mama. If some of y'all knew what I'm about to tell you, it hurts your feelings even reading them saying this about Jesus in your Bible. Whenever a man lived in these days, they were going to introduce him. They never introduced him as the son of his mother. Even in chapter 4, they said, Is this not Joseph's son? 
Is this not the carpenter? Whenever he first introduced himself, they said he's the carpenter's son. He's Joseph's son. But in this verse they say, that's Mary's boy. I don't know if you gather what the inference is, but even after a man was deceased in this days, he would always be called by the name of his father. You remember Jonah? Jonah, the son of, uh, uh, whenever he comes, the, the son of Amittai. And the Bible calls him the son of Amittai. And do you remember David, the son of Jesse? I mean, every person in the Bible, when they are introduced, they're introduced by who their father is. They're introduced in relationship to their father. You know why they called him the son of Mary? They were questioning the legitimacy of his birth. They were saying, He cannot be this man. He cannot be a preacher. He cannot be full of the Holy Ghost. Why, his mama didn't even live right before he was born. And they questioned the legitimacy of his birth. They questioned whether or not Jesus was born of a result of fornication rather than that of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, you cannot slander God without putting the brakes on this morning. That's what they were doing. Yes, sir. Yes. Then they said, when they said this, by the way, that He's the son of Mary, they were implying that His mother was not the Virgin Mary. She was not a holy woman, but that she was a harlot. Now you don't think this would put the brakes on in your preaching. You got right along to preaching and somebody say, first of all, you're a fool. You're uneducated. Secondly, your mom ain't no good. And then they just keep on after that. You don't think that would put the brakes on in the preaching time? Then they said, not only is he the carpenter, son of Mary, they said he's the brother to James and Joseph and Judah and Simon. You know, ain't nothing special about his family. I mean, all they do with these is just call their names. I mean, we know that they're not no preachers. I mean, that may be the roughest crowd of young'uns in this town. They're not preachers. And, you know, he's the oldest one of that crowd. He's no different than what they are. They've besmirched his whole family. They saw him as that little boy that grew up with his family in Nazareth, the brother of James and Joseph, uh, Joseph and Judah and Simon. And then they said, and on top of that, his sisters are with us. Ask his sisters and see what they think about him. They'll say, oh, I love Jesus now. Jesus is my brother and I love Him. But this stuff about Him being the Messiah, you know, that's, that's probably just not right. Do you realize the brothers and sisters of Jesus didn't trust in Him as Messiah until after the resurrection? This folk, these folks in town said, we're not going to put our trust in Him. His own family don't believe in Him. By the way, what do you think people in Bremen, Georgia say when the family of God look around this morning? What do you think people in Bremen, Georgia say when the family of God don't put their trust in the Lord? Why would I put my confidence in God? Why would I take the brakes off? Down there at Truth Baptist Church, they say they're the sons and daughters of God. They're brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus. They say they've been saved. They don't put their trust in Jesus. Why should I believe in Him if His own family doesn't trust Him? Anybody listening this morning? Are His sisters not here with us? They're on our side. That's exactly the siblings of Jesus did not believe until after the resurrection. A brother after the resurrection. 
They committed themselves to His service. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. They said, Is not this the son of Mary, the brother of James? Oh, that's that same one that after the resurrection committed his life to Christ and he became the head of the church in Jerusalem. He served God so much. When he wrote a book in the Bible, he wouldn't even call himself the brother of Jesus. He said, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. Oh, he recognized I'm not his brother. I'm not his equal. I'm not like him. I'm not measured up to him. I'm just a servant of his. His eyes would be open. Praise God. That is the mercy of the Lord. By the way, He just kept being merciful and extending opportunities unto them. Oh, wouldn't it have been wonderful if James, while he was yet in Nazareth, if James had taken the brakes off and stood up in the middle of this synagogue and said, Hey, wait a minute, y'all. I want you to know something. Not only was this man my brother growing up, but he's full of the Holy Ghost. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Everybody ought to trust Him. But He didn't. He put the Amen. Somebody this morning ought to take the brakes off. And the Bible said because that they saw him around them as a carpenter, as Mary's son, as a little boy, they stumbled over his person and they were offended at him. That word offended means to cause to stumble or to be repelled to the point of abandonment because they could not explain Jesus. They refused to listen to Him and to believe on Him and they could not see past their familiarity with Him. Yes. Number three this morning, not only do we see the reach to the rejectors and response to the rejectors, but I want you to notice the reply to the rejected. Verse number four, look what Jesus says. A prophet is not without honor. Now in chapter 5, he had plenty of honor, didn't he? They gathered around him and worshipped him. The maniac who he had cast the devils out of said, I want to go where you are, wherever that is, I want to go. Oh, I love you for taking the devil out of my life. Changing me. Hallelujah. Jesus said, go back and tell your family and show your, show your family and tell your friends what great things the Lord's done for you. And He published throughout all the capitalists of the things that the Lord had done concerning Him. Oh, I tell you, praise God, He had honor. That woman who touched His clothes and was healed that very hour, she told the whole truth of what Jesus did for her. And when folks realized Jesus did what all the physicians in Israel couldn't do for 12 years, and He did it in a moment, and seemed to do it with their sight, without even realizing it was happening, though the Lord's surely near. And my friend, He had honor amongst those people when He raised a little girl up out of her deathbed. And she ate supper with her family. And everybody that was mourning and crying was rejoicing and shouting, The Lord had honor. But when He came back home, and they would not hear Him, and they would not listen to Him, and they put the brakes on Him, He was without honor in His hometown. Can I ask you this morning, will you let God go without honor? Will you let Christ be with and dishonored in this service this morning because of your unbelief and putting the brakes on and limiting God in what He wants to do in your life? Will you honor Him or will you dishonor Him in this place? A prophet is not without honor, but he said in his own country... Now verse number 1, the Bible said that He came into His own country. In other words, everywhere else I go, they've treated me well and honored me, but not here. 
I realize this world does not love Jesus. I realize that. But for the most part, in our culture, at least in the public sense, they respect His name. For the most part. I realize it's getting less and less that way, but for the most part. And I'm going to tell you, I've been around sinners that respected Jesus' name more than church folks do. And when He comes in this place, and when we come in this place, and when He comes to us as His children, when we are addressing and dealing with this thing of knowing the Lord, He ought to always have honor with us. A child of God, this ought to go without saying, a child of God ought not to ever use the Lord's name in vain. Amen. That's exactly right. You ought to get your speech cleared up and cleaned up. That's exactly right. A child of God ought not to ever mock His work or make fun of His Word or doubt what He has said. It's one thing that the world says, I don't know if that Bible's right or not. Now Jesus was a prophet and Jesus was a good man. That's their way of trying to honor Him, see. But when He comes into His own country, it's not enough for us to say He was a prophet and a good man. We know He's the Messiah and the Son of God. And we ought never look at His Word and say, I don't know if if I believe that verse or not, it dishonors the Lord Jesus and we put the brakes on Him and limited Him. This morning what we ought to do is say, Oh God, I open up Your Word. Open my eyes and I might see wondrous things out of the Word of God. And if You'll show me, Lord, I will believe it all. Honor Him. Honor Him. And then whenever He shows us the Word, I'll be a doer of the Word. Not a hearer only. I put it in action in your life. Lord, I believe it's true and I'm going to do it. And not only that, I'm going to tell somebody else about it. Does anybody hear what I'm preaching this morning? Take the brakes off. Some of you have never took the parking brake off in your whole Christian life. You've lived the whole time. I'm here a while back. Brother Randy got in the vehicle. Of course, I parked it on the hillside. And he said, you want me to come get the car? It's late and I done got done preaching. And it was cold and so forth outside. He said, I'll go get the car and pull it up here so you don't freeze. And I said, that'd be good. And the key, he went and got the car, pulled it up there. I parked it in front of the church on the flat spot. And I got out there and I got in the vehicle. I never put the parking brake on unless I'm parked up on the hill. I got in the vehicle and the parking brake was on. I said, Brother Randy, did you drive this thing all the way up the hill? What's the parking brake on? He said, no, I let it off. I just put it back on when I parked it here. I was about to get frustrated. You're not supposed to drive a car with a parking brake on. It'll mess the brake up. It'll mess the car up. Amen. I'm going to tell you, we're tearing up the mechanical workings of everything God wants to do. We're defeating the church. We're making everything harder than what it ought to be because we're trying to operate with a parking brake on. Your Christian life is harder. Having church is harder. Serving God is harder. Read the Bible is harder. Coming to the house of God to worship is harder than what it ought to be because you've got to break on. Limiting God. He said, I'm not without honor anywhere else, but I am in my own country. And I am amongst my own kinfolk. My family. And I am in my own house. I'm going to tell you, a fellow ought not to have to go home and that be the place where he gets mistreated. Everybody ought to know they're loved at home. Amen. I'm going to tell you what he said when he's telling them, I'm not 
honored in my country, amongst my kin, and in my house. You know what he's doing? He's pointing his finger at him and saying, Listen, some of you think I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you've said, but I'm aware. I don't know how people in Nazareth were, but if Nazareth had been a city in Georgia, I can tell you how it would have operated. When he came into town preaching like this, everybody wouldn't have slapped him in the face with a dead rabbit. Some folks would have come by the door and shook his hand and said, Oh, that was wonderful preaching. Oh, we just love you so much. And then they wouldn't have made it to the end of the steps before they would have looked at the person beside him and said, You know what? I think he's flipped his lid. Can you believe he preached like that today? Just who does he think he is anyway? All the way home they would have had Rose Preacher. But they would have thought that had done it and him not know anything about it. See, he won't understand. He won't know how much we don't believe in him. Amen. But when Jesus looked at him, he said, I know in your house, I know in this country. He looked at his family and he said, my own kinfolk, I know how you act. Though you love me, though my brothers and sisters maybe have a good family relationship, I know you don't trust me as the Messiah. You don't believe I'm the Son of God. You don't believe what mom and dad taught all of us growing up. I'm aware of that. Listen, you're not fooling Jesus with your break home this morning. People in the church today have nodded their head. My friend, like a bobblehead doll. My friend, and some have even said amen while I'm preaching today. And you've got a double clutch grip on your brake shifter. And you're holding it tight. You're saying, that's right, preacher. Tell them people to take the brake off. But you will not let go of yours. And you're not fooling the Lord. Amen. And God knows, Brother John Michael, God knows who really wants to serve Him, love Him, and see God turn loose in their life, and He knows who wants to put the brake on Him. I'm not without honor saving my own country, amongst my own kin, and in my own house. Number four, and I'm finished with this. Notice the result of the rejection in verses 5 and 6. And he could do there no mighty work. It's not that he could do no mighty work, but he couldn't do it there. He could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hand on a few sick folk and healed them. By the way, most of us, if we'd been sick and the Lord had healed us, we'd have jumped up and down and said, Praise God, the Lord's doing a mighty work. How mighty did he want to do? I mean, the work of God he could have done. Amongst them, that he just took the break off. But even if, even then, when he healed a few, the Bible said he healed a few sick folk in verse five. But that's not the way the Bible talks about him when he heals sick folks in other places. In Mark chapter eight, he said he healed all them that came unto him. What about that? But in this verse, he heals a few sick folk. You know, God wants to do bigger things in our lives than what we realize. But just take the break off. And verse 6 he said, He marveled because of their unbelief and went about in the villages teaching. We see his work and his miracles were limited. This will always be the result of rejecting the Lord.
He withheld His power from them because of their unbelief. Jesus was unable to perform many miracles there. He healed sick folk, but He didn't do all He wanted to do. Oh, must He have wanted to do wonderful things. Their unbelief could not hinder His sovereignty or His power, but it did put the brakes on His works before their eyes. Jesus will always still be able to work, but they were not able to witness it because they put the brakes on. When the Lord comes to us desiring to do great works, do we stop Him by putting our brakes on and we're worried about the length of the service? Have my friend more than what we are Him being the Lord of the service? Are we more concerned about being polished than what we are being powerful? Are we more concerned about our positions in the church than we are His preeminence in the church? Are we have become too mechanical in our worship so that we're no longer wowed by the Master in our midst? Are we more concerned about what's going on after church and what we are what's going on at church. We're putting the brakes on and we're missing out. Withholding of His power is the result, the wonder of His perception. He marveled at them. They were astonished at Him and He marveled at them. Can I tell you, if you don't have faith, you can't please God and God won't be pleased with you. You and the Lord are never going to be agreed walking together while you're living in unbelief. I'm going to walk with Jesus while I don't trust Him. It doesn't work like that. Amen. He wonders at Him. He wonders that word marvel means to stand in wonder or amazement. Twice in the Scripture Jesus marveled and both times it pertains to faith. The, twice, the, the, the Jewish, He marveled at Jewish unbelief in this passage and He marveled at Gentile faith in Luke chapter 7 verse 9, the centurion with a sick daughter. He marveled at His faith. He marveled at these people's unbelief. I wonder this morning when He looks at us, does He marvel at how much we do believe or how little we do believe? Does He marvel at how great our faith is or how absent our faith is? Then He gives a word for them. There's a word in this for all of us, matter of fact. Jesus is here today in our midst. We know He is because He promised it in Matthew 18 and 20. Where two or three are gathered together in His name, there I'll be in the midst of them. Jesus shows up when we meet, Brother Eddie. And He desires to manifest His glory and His power. He wants to do something here. If we take the brakes off and come to the Lord's house expecting something from the Lord, we'll be amazed at what He can do. And if we come with a... Listen to me right now if you missed everything else I've said. Please hear what I'm saying right this second. If we come with an I've seen it all before attitude, we're likely going to get nothing. Everybody listening? Come on with a song. I'm finished preaching, but I'm, I'm putting my parking brake on right here. When we come to church with an I've seen it all before attitude, we'll miss out on what God wants to do for us. Mark chapter 2, when they left the house where Jesus was, what did they say? We've never seen it on this fashion before. We come to church and say, I've seen it all before. Bless me if you can. It's just about lunchtime. I got things to do. I need to go grocery shopping and all that other stuff that you probably ought not to be doing on the Lord's Day anyhow. Amen. 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 I got you know, I you know, I'm wanting to go to the fair and to the pumpkin patch and to the whatever else. Got all them things scheduled, see, that's important, we think. They're not important at all. That's right. 
and we're doing the most important thing on planet earth. But we're saying, you know, we've seen it all before. About time to go. Matter of fact, I don't know if I'll come back tonight or not. I, I'll see how I feel. Make sure they're not running a, make sure they're not running a uh, uh, splurge of gun smoke on TV tonight. If they are, I might have to stay home and watch the splurge of gun smoke on TV. Because I've seen all that at church before. We'd rather watch a rerun on TV. You know what we're doing, don't you? We've got a double-handed clutch on that break. And we're saying, God, I'm not going to let you do anything in my life. And meanwhile, we pretend to walk around like we're His kinfolk, His countrymen, and His friends. And the Lord knows who we really are. And just as He did in Nazareth, Brother John, He'll not force Himself on us. When we put the brakes on, He'll go somewhere else. Oh, Lord. Sinner, take the brakes off this morning. There's people here that I've preached to till I have worn myself slam out and you've sat and listened, but just put the brakes on and not gotten saved. Would you stop resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in conviction and trust Him? Saying of God, take the brakes off. Stop doubting His power and ignoring His Word and worship Him. Church, take the brakes off. Reach out to Him to seek after what He wants to do in your life. Don't draw up the box that you expect the Lord to operate in. But seek out His will among us. The only thing that I can see that limits God is you and me. He that cometh to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. For without faith it is impossible to please God. This morning would somebody take off the brake. Submit to what God wants to do in your life. Everybody stand. I'm finished preaching. I have given you exactly what the Lord's laid on my heart. Everybody stand. I've tried not to preach one minute shorter nor one minute longer than what the Lord wanted me to this morning. And tried to say exactly what He wanted me to say. And the Lord knows in the area where I failed, I've done the best I can. But now it's up to you what you'll do with it. Will you keep trying to drive with the brake on? Or will you come on? And say, Lord, have your perfect way in my life. Somebody needs to pray when you come. Would you come? She's going to sing for us. If you need to do business with the Lord, would you come? Lord, I'm turning loose of the brake. If this thing goes fast, you'll have to handle it. I'm not slowing down your work in my life. I'm going to let you be God the way you want to be. You'll do what you please. And what you do will be right. And I'll trust you with it. Lord, have mercy. Take the brakes off.
hands, I'm going to make those myself. You've got to break home. You can have everything but my pocketbook and my money. You put the brakes on. I'll be obedient in everything in my life except for who I want to marry. Lord, that's my business. Put the, you put the brakes on. I'll do anything you want me to do except you put the brakes on. I'll trust you with everything except my family, everything except my job, everything except for my future, everything except for what I want to do right this minute. You put the brakes on. You've limited him. I'll be obedient with everything you say to do, Lord, except that one thing I don't want to quit doing. <laughs> you put the brakes on. And if you want God to work in the rest of your life, turn loose of that piece of your life that you don't want to give Him. You're going to miss out on all of God's blessings because you won't receive part of it. Would you take the brakes off? Boy, it'd be, it'd be so wonderful. It'd be so wonderful to see some young people that forget about whatever the world's got scheduled for their lives. Forget about whatever their personal agenda is. Throw it all in the wind and say, God, I'm yours, lock, stock, and barrel. But I remember when I did that. Praise God. I'd been saved two years, preaching a year and a half, trying to handle it all and putting my hands on the brake. I'll never forget that Sunday morning I went to the altar at Pine Ridge Church and said, Oh God, whatever you want to do all of my life, I want it all in your hands. Not just my soul. Not just forgiveness of my sins, but everything that belongs to you. What a relief. I didn't have to make the choices anymore. They were His. Hallelujah. Praise God. And any time I've ever messed up, it's been because I tried to take a handle on it again. Everything He's ever done has always been right. Sometimes I didn't trust it, but it's always been right. Hallelujah. Praise God. I turn loose. Let Him work in my life. I will never forget the joy, the privilege that it was to be able to get up from that, that altar and look around and nobody else really understood but me. To look around and realize that I'd just given it all to the Lord. And that I was no longer responsible for how everything turned out. The results were not up to me. It was the Lord's doings. It was His job that all I had to do was just trust Him. You talk about a relief. I'd take all the pressure off. I didn't have to be something, do something, become something. Just follow the Lord. And all the rest of it's His. I wonder if you obeyed God this morning, done what the Holy Ghost would have you to do. Hope you'll be with us tonight. Prayer 15 to 6, worship service 6 o'clock. Wednesday night prayer meeting. Probably preaching on how to know when you're not playing church. If you're here Wednesday night, if you're here this morning, you come back Wednesday night, probably going to be round three. 
building on the same thing. But that's not up to me to control, Brother David.